What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is crack and Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Frommel. I am, however, as always, super pleased and excited and just generally over the moon to have good friend and colleague Grant Hughes from Bleacher Report back on the podcast. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes if you are not already. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dan. Thank you for having me having me back. We've been uh we've been pretty regular, I think, so far this season. I'm I'm into that. This is I th- I think this is the third time you've been on in season. That's not even including like the off season that wasn't really an off season, and then I'm sure you were on during the bubble. They've, the timeline sort of melded together, but I'm pretty sure you've been on three times this this regular season. And considering we're only like what twenty games deep for the most part, it's like once every yeah, six or right. seven games. Yeah, it feels like uh, this. Well, this whole season's weird, but um, it feels like it's been going on forever. But we're basically at the quarter point, which it, is kind of crazy to think about. We So we're going to get in-depth into the MVP ladder as it stands right now, maybe with some forward-looking stuff caked in. I did not ask you about this before, but I wanted your opinion on how you feel about the league going ahead with an actual all-star weekend after having to postpone so many games so far. And I know the latest report was they've had zero coronavirus tests like during the last batch of testing, but I, I honestly would like to know like how they looked at what's transpired so far this season and were like, you know what? Having an actual all-star game is a good idea. Yeah, no, I I, I feel like I'm the not a good person to ask about that because I my interest in the all-star game is probably like way it's low generally, but it's definitely way too low for the job that I do. Like I just I just sort of don't care, um, and I wonder who this is for. Like I want because so what I mean is like I, I guess there must be a contingent of people out there that really care and like want to watch the all-star game. Um, I don't know what the ratings are like, but I'm, I'm not one of them. But like the main thing is, don't we have, isn't time precious? Like don't, because of all those postponements, like don't we need that time to make games up? Wasn't that why they built in that break to begin with? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, it seems, it seems wild to me, but clearly they think that it's going to be a moneymaker. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, and I don't, I'd be interested to see if there are going to be people that decide not to play in it. I know there's something oh, to that. Yeah. Maybe the play, players are safer or less likely to contract COVID if they're operating within the NBA's protocols as opposed to living their normal lives. But I just wonder mm-hmm. if there are going to be players that are like, you know, 
screw this. When I'm on the road, I can't do anything. I'm going to take my however long the break it ends up being. And then I wonder what happens like if there are guys that have contract incentives for making the All-Star game. It was easier when you were just going to get elected and then those incentives hit and there was no game. But now that there's a game, if you bow out, does that not count? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of back tightness and like uh, load, man, you know, sore or whatever that's going to crop up, I, I would suspect. There might be a lot of alternates named, actually, if they're going to try to play. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, you need to just have like people in waiting in case there's they have to enter the league's health and safety protocols during All Star. I was, I guess I'm not surprised that they're having it, but it's just like, can we try and figure out a way to survive the season instead of having this totally unnecessary, doesn't even matter towards the standings event? But like you said, I guess maybe they view it as a as a money maker. That's the cynic in me. That's where I go. The MVP ladder, though, we both talked about how difficult this was to sort of parse and i feel like it's maybe i mean you can always do quarterly check-ins on whatever you really want but with the mvp it feels like it's almost a little bit early but even that said this race is shaping up to the point where i feel like there are probably at least four guys maybe five who have genuine concrete distinct win it all cases and i feel like that's very rare we normally by the quarter pole the season i would think have it narrowed down to at least three um, and then sometimes it becomes like this matter of head to head. Um, and then there's times like last year where I think, you know, even though people tried to eventually make the argument for LeBron, it was just always known that Giannis was going to win it. It doesn't feel like that's the case this year. No, I think it's, it's complicated further by the fact that several of the guys that, uh, preseason you would have pegged as having a really good chance, including the favorite, um, I guess I don't, there's no reason to pretend like we don't know we're talking about Luka Doncic. Um, like he's not in any, you know, he's nowhere near serious consideration for me. Um, and so that means there's a vacancy up towards the top just because you got to have, you know, a handful of serious contenders. And he vacated a spot. Giannis, I think everyone started the year kind of thinking he could do the exact same thing again. There's no way in hell he's going to win three MVPs in a row, but he's kind of done everyone a favor by having a slightly worse year for a team that, you know, they're net, I think the Bucks lead the league in net rating, but they're 12 and eight and everybody's fixated on how the defense isn't great. And so he took, took that out of our hands too. So there's another opening up there to sort of have to figure out how to fill. So that, that's only added to how tricky this one is, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally with you on the Luka Doncic stuff, the Mavericks. You know, and, and there's the other element of that. If I was making lists of who I think should win, I'm probably not paying as much attention to team record. Um, Luka Doncic still wouldn't win it in my book, but where it does seem like, and historically it's just, you know, we have the, that Russell Westbrook season the year after KD left, but it just doesn't go to someone who plays for a team that doesn't rank in the top two or three of the conference. Like it just, it doesn't happen. Um, but this season's also weird because everything's impacted by COVID since some of these right. teams have just dealt with all this personnel turnover. I mean, Dallas has been impacted by it. Uh, Philly's been impacted by it. I mean, every team's just been impacted by it. So it's kind of like this element of a free-for-all, which I think makes for an interesting debate. The dilemma, mm-hmm. obviously, that this like real-world shit is happening that's you know adversely impacting this. But this was... I, I think you're someone that does this too. You, you ache and agonize over how to build these things, but this year was just... It's so much harder than usual. And so I'm curious how you want to start, where you land. You want to work our way from the top to the bottom. I know we, you, you separated them into tiers, so do you want to start with uh, the top tier? Yeah, I think we should start with the top tier. Um... And mine has three guys in it. Um, I would be really surprised if your top tier was not the same. But the, the, top, the top tier is LeBron, Joel Embiid, and uh, Nicole Jokic. 
And uh, if I had to, I guess let's just let's just do it this way. LeBron, I have LeBron as the MVP so far, um, and I fully recognize that there's a great statistical case for the next the other two guys I mentioned that might be better than his. Um, but it's not like you know he, he's at 25 about eight and eight or seven and seven, 7.7 7 and 7.5 to be direct, like not close to career highs in any of those for him. Um, 31.6 usage, 59.7 true shooting. You go through the catch-alls, he's fourth in, in Raptor, he's second in RPM, he's plus 14 per 100 when he's on the floor for cleaning the glass, fourth in win share. Like, so his cases, like those are all, you know, you've got a lot to stand on there. Um, just for me, like, I want to oversimplify this. Um, he's the best player on what I think is the best team. And as I thought about how to consider like what is valuable, like we do it every year, what does valuable mean? And I kind of came back to like, it's a two pronged kind of analysis. And the first is what is the difference between having this guy and not having him? Like, well, how big is that gap? And then you sort of weigh that, or you try to balance that with the idea of if when you have this guy, you are at the apex, which I think the Lakers are. So if you have LeBron, you are the title favorite because you have LeBron. And for like for all other things being equal, that's what you have. If you don't have him, obviously you're not. But And you drop down to however good you are with Anthony Davis as your best player, which is not bad. Right. But that's different. You know, There are other players that have higher on-off you know, net rating splits. There are other guys that have better catch-all metrics, but because LeBron has numbers that at least warrant consideration, uh, and you add to the fact that like what he makes you by being on your team, which we're seeing with the Lakers, I think they're the best team in the league. Um, they lose the minutes when he is not on the floor. Like that's insane. He's the only guy on the team that has a negative net rating. That they play to a negative net rating when he's off. That you know that's just. It's just that compelling for me, and I will not deny that there is some element of this should this should not be a consideration. But there's some element of we all know he's the he's the guy you want if you're trying to win a title. I still think that's true. So that's like two percent of my analysis, but that's the whole package. Just that's just kind of where I'm at on 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 him uh, leading my list. So my top three were the same. I had LeBron, uh, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. I did not have LeBron as number one, and there's like, look, he could. I think it goes without saying at this point, he could win the award every single year, and I don't yeah. think that you could knock it. There's still something to me where it's like, if Anthony Davis and you look at the minutes when they play with with Anthony Davis and without LeBron, and they're getting blasted by like seven points per 100 possessions. It's just not. It's not pretty. But to me, there's still something. If we want to believe that Anthony Davis is his top five, seven player, top ten, whatever, and I believe that he is that does sort of take away a little bit from LeBron's case because I do try and look at what the team is without them. And you would think that it's easier to for, for the Lakers to be okay without LeBron than my winner right now would be Joel Embiid. And there's the element of, you know, this season because of the way their roster makes so much more sense, but they're once again um, losing the minutes that he doesn't play and, and Ben Simmons does. They're um, minus 13.4 points per 100 possession. So it's even worse than when Davis plays without LeBron. And that's not the perfect way to measure it, but there's also the element of, okay, they're one in four when Joel Embiid doesn't play and they're 14 and two when he does. And he has been, he has one of the highest, um, you know, among players who have logged at least 200 and 
40 minutes. Uh, he has like one of the 10 highest net rating swings, plus 20.6. They're 14.5 points better per 100 possessions on offense with him, 6.1 points better on defense. I know people have talked a lot about his offense and his decision-making. The, the numbers there are just, you know, they're, they're wild. 28.3 points, um, 57.5% shooting inside the arc, 40.4% shooting on, you know, moderate, okay volume from three. Um, those would be career highs. Shooting a career high 84% at the foul line while getting there over 11 times per game, which I'm pretty sure might be like a league record or something. I would need to um, need to check that there. So he's just been an, an overall monster. And I, I'm really... I, I think if there's someone who's going to challenge Miles Turner for Defensive Player of the Year, and I've already been lampooned for not pick, predicting, if I had to pick right now who it is, I think it would be Miles Turner. It would be Embiid or Davis for me. And Davis is a whole other argument because I don't think what he does will ever show up in the numbers. But you just look at how much less often, not that teams get to the rim when Embiid is on the court, but how much less they're taking those you know floater range shots because he is such a deterrent that it's these teams, they'll either bail out way sooner on their drives or they just won't drive at all. And I think um, it, it hasn't necessarily been every, every game, but it feels like he's been even more aggressive in his pick and roll coverages where he's coming out a little bit more. Maybe that's a Doc Rivers sort of tweak. So I've looked at that, looked at his offensive efficiency, um, you still want, you know, his turnover ratio, assist to turnover ratio to be better right now. It's 2.8 assists on 3.1 turnovers per game. So that's, that's no bueno. I still just, as someone who is dominant in basically every facet of the game right now, where LeBron is just, even though he's played better defense since arriving on the Lakers, just never going to be at that level defensively. Someone who's so important on both ends of the court for Philly right now it's tough for me to pick against. And as a snapshot, it was an easier decision for me. Not that I didn't agonize over it, but if we're looking at predictions, that's where it gets hard because it's like, okay, well, Nicole Jokic and LeBron are going to miss X games, fewer than 10 probably. And Bede's already got five misses under his belt through the quarter mark. Is he going to end up missing 15, 20 games or something? It gets harder to justify that. But right now for me, I, I think he's been, I would say I'm like 67 to 71% certain he's been my MVP. I, I don't want to argue against that because he's he was second on on my list and like as just looking you know trying to build the case for him I don't I I I, I can't think of a guy that has been more enjoy like the Embiid experience has been so fun this year because I really feel like he is single handedly subverting like the last six or seven years of all the trends we thought were taking the league over so like he's a dominant post up player he's by far. 1.09 points per play on post-ups, which is like not a, you know... It's like a mediocre offense, which is fun. That's a mediocre <laughs> offense on a really inefficient play type, which is just by far the best rate of anybody that posts up often in the league. And 1.21 in isolation, which is in the 86th percentile, which is like, isolation's bad. We don't do that anymore. No, no, he's really good at that. So you can just... It's really a throwback of like, give the big guy the ball and your team is good, which is like really fun to me. I, I don't know... If because there's not a lot of other Embiid's out there to make this a trend, which kind of makes it even cooler. And the right. next guy we'll talk about, I think, is even you know a more extreme example of that, where there just isn't you know we don't need to worry about centers like these two guys, Jokic and Embiid, taking over the league because there just aren't more of them. Um, but yeah, Embiid has been phenomenal. Um, I love how just purely dominant he's been. He's felt like the most dominant player in the league which maybe isn't the most valuable necessarily, but it goes a long way towards that. So I have no, I do not have a strong pushback against Embiid, um, obviously, because he's second on my ballot. Um, do you want to talk 
like, so Jokic is three for you. He's three for me. Was there any thought of him compared to Embiid being higher or? Yeah. Um, it, he's tough because I don't think the Nuggets have, I guess, started to get better, but you look at that. I mean, like that does color the rankings. I try not to look at them and I don't think, you know, when you look at um, Denver right now, has climbed their way to fourth. And so they've had their defensive problems. They've gotten a little bit better there. And I don't know to what extent he's an issue for their defense. Like he's, he has really good hands. His steal rate is always just absurdly high for a big guy. And his defensive rebounding matters because it ends possessions. And then just the raw numbers for him, they, they jump off the page and smack you in the face and punch you in the teeth and, and spit in your eye. Basically uh, he's, he's averaging 26.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists, and 1.8 steals. He's shooting 62.3% on threes. Normally his three-point percentage kind of hits an uptick later in the season. He's hitting 38.4% of them now. Uh, he is, you know, he is the engine that makes the Denver Nuggets offense go. I mean, they, they have Jamal Murray and um, there are certainly lineups that you can cobble together that will survive with without him in theory, but he's just so um, valuable to them. I just, when you look at relative to Embiid is there does it matter that Embiid is a two-way player and I know that people are going to argue that Nicole Jokic is fine to like a net even on defense and let's say let's say that's what it is I don't think that you can call Nicole Jokic a two-way player like it's just not at that that point yet and he's not like this super staunch rim protector there are going to be matchups where he just struggles defensively um and he's matchup proof because he's just so damn valuable on the offensive end and you can certainly be so good on offense that it doesn't matter and I think there have been seasons where LeBron has proven that and Jokic has proven that this season and if you're going to be even close to average or like only a little bit below average on defense that matters but I'm just looking at Embiid and dominating at both ends and where he improves and uplifts his team's um ratings on both ends of the floor so starkly it was tough for me to put Jokic over that, even though I think when you look at his numbers and knowing that we should value offense, like Jokic is always going to have more of an influence over his team's offense because of what he does as a passer. And he's basically matching Joel Embiid's scoring while you know being top five or top eight. What is he now in assists per game? I have to double check that. And so there's certainly something to that. And I think his case gets, there's a chance that this is one of those cases where it's a, I don't want to say a slower burn, but more of a gradual one, where if we fast forward to the, the halfway point, maybe Embiid has missed some games, Jokic has continued playing at this rate, the Nuggets are still in the top four of the West like they, they are now, so maybe time actually helps him, but uh, I didn't consider it as heavily, I would say, as Jokic's just raw numbers suggest. I think, so to kind of illustrate that point, I, I agree, once I kind of looked at the whole package, it wasn't, I thought I was going to really agonize over the Embiid-Jokic thing, and it just kind of became clear to me that he was should should have been third. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, I have LeBron first, so that's a little different than yours. But, like, if you look at the things that, you know, these catch-all metrics are all flawed, so we, we all agree that, you know, if you're first in PER, it doesn't mean you're the best player in the league. But Jokic is first in PER, that and he's third in Raptor, he's eighth in RPM, you know, he's first in basketball references, win shares, all these things weight box score stuff really heavily. And so obviously his ridiculous, you know, conventional averages, points, rebounds, assists really, you know, help him there. But he's, he's really conspicuous in this regard. And he's very different from almost all the other guys we're going to talk about in that on cleaning the glass, the nuggets are 0.07 per 100 better when he plays than when he sits, which is like negligible. 
And that is all tied to the defensive issues because the offense is like 17 per 100 better when he's on the floor, which shows you that the defense is that much worse, basically. Um, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily a bad defender, or at least I'm up for kind of like a debate as to whether he's fine. Uh, but like, look, he ha- it's it's worth noting he has the worst defensive rating swing on the Nuggets. Yeah. So, so it's like, and, and, and it's he, not, you know, I'm not trying to blame him in full, but yeah. that stuff, like that stuff, has to matter too. If you're trying to distinguish between him and Embiid, like that's the giant, you know, blinking red light. Like that just that has to be considered, and that has to put him below him. I think. Right, and um, there's and I, I don't <laughs> there's I don't know how much. What do you think is the realistic like chances of him catching? Well, I guess LeBron for you and Embiid for me. Uh. Well, I mean, to actually win the award, the Nuggets would have to finish like second or third in the West, and blah blah blah. But to act, you know, if we're talking about does he, you know, does he deserve to be ahead of either of those two guys? I mean, a lot of it might honestly be out of his hands because the Nuggets would just have to defend a lot better to get some of those on-off numbers, you know, to be at least competitive um, with with what Embiid's are and with what LeBron's are, and that's going to be a tough hill to climb because you know this is we are a quarter of the way into the season. Think, you know, a big game can swing a lot of this. Like, shout out Fred Van Vliet, who was like fifth in some catch-all metric I saw after last night. I tried to uh, check so. to see if um, him and his wife had adopted a child before Ooh. the game or something, just to make sure that it wasn't related to him adding to his family. I didn't even think about that. That has to be why. No, but I, I think it's gonna be t- it's gonna be hard. Well, it could just be simple that Embiid misses a bunch of games, and then boom, he's ahead of him. Like that's the cop out answer. But but other than that, you, you know, Jokic can't do more statistically on an individual basis. Right, and I don't want to penalize him. I think when you get this close, though, like in that, and that's what separated, and that's why he was third because I did consider putting him above LeBron James. Mm-hmm. But when you get to this level, you I do kind of look at the minutes that are spent without him on the court, and the Nuggets are winning the minutes he's not on the court. They're plus point mm-hmm. five, uh, plus four point five points per one hundred possessions. Um, an offense in the forty sixth percentile and a defense in the eighty sixth percentile. The offense was actually that just speaks to, to how good they are in offense in general because they're like almost league average without him, and then he somehow still blows it up when he's on the court and so like that mattered a little bit to me where it's like if you took Jokic off the nuggets would they be the best of these three teams would if you removed those stars there's i think there's probably a case that the lakers would still be better than these nuggets but you look at denver and it's like well they would still have michael porter jr assuming he didn't catch covid for like the eighth time and there's jamal murray i it's tough i think philly would very clearly be the worst to me and maybe that says more about ben simmons uh than it does, you know, whatever. And again, I don't want to penalize these guys for minutes they're not spending on the court, but when the margins are this close, that that is stuff that I do look at. No, I agree. I, I do think that, um, I mean, the numbers clearly say that the Nuggets would be would be the best, the least negatively affected by Jokic not But I'm just, like, thinking about it in theory where it's, like, yeah. Anthony Davis and even Ben Simmons, like, they're just more consistent players in what they do best than Jamal Murray, where it's, like... Does he ever put together like a consistent six weeks of basketball? Yeah. I mean, I would say that his if Jokic were not on the Nuggets, I think they would look the most fundamentally different because like he just is what they do, you know? Um, and, and maybe that 
offensively anyway i think he limits what they do defensively but maybe that maybe that's like a component of value if we're going to really get into the weeds of like how much do you define the way that your team succeeds like Jokic is offensively like how they operate and it works really well yeah i don't know how you quantify that but i think that's a point in his favor at least in some regard it's gonna be great when we fast forward like towards the end of the season and both of us pick him as the the mvp (laughs) stranger things have happened sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. We both had one and one player only in Tier 2. Who was it? It's Kawhi Leonard. And... I would be curious as to why you have him there. Cause my reasoning is just like of the next chunk of guys, he just crushed them all in a lot of statistical stuff that was important to me. And then also the not statistical aspects of just like, well, this is a weakness free two way wing that's been finals MVP twice. And he's playing better this year in a lot of, in a lot of areas than he ever has. So it's just like, I don't know. He's just, and I think part of it too, for me is an acknowledgement that he's obviously to me, the guy most likely to jump into that first tier as long as he plays enough. Cause he already, I think um, I, you have to, you have to trim off some of the, you know, add to some of the minute requirements when you're sorting stats to kind of, for example, plus 23.5 per 100 is right. his net rating swing, which is the highest in the league among guys with 500 minutes. There's a lot of guys with significantly more minutes than that, but I mean, that's, that's a that's a decent number. It's just it does point to the fact that um, you know his workload is just generally other than Embiid going to be you know less than the other major candidates. Yeah, he's look. He's also flirting with 50, 40, 90 shooting at this point. He's at he's at thirty nine point eight percent from three, and he's hitting the other marks. Free throws ninety one point five and fifty point seven overall. Fifty four point six percent on twos, which is just ridiculous because he doesn't get to the rim. Like, that's the thing about the Clippers as a whole. They don't really get to the rim that much, mm-hmm. and yet they're still just like this uber-efficient offense. He, I thought about I thought about whether he should be in Tier 1 uh, as well, and there's a, there's a case for him to be there too just because we're talking about how we measure Embiid's impact as this two-way player. Is there, you know, to get it, like, is there a better two-way player in the league than um, Kawhi Leonard? And no, there there is not at this point. So, he was sort of tough to leave out there, but when you're looking at how the Clippers are playing overall, where it's, you know, this comes again to the just the talent that he has around him. Yeah, he's really uplifting them, but if you pluck him off the Clippers, what do they sort of look like? And there's a chance that the four teams that we're talking about, I would argue that the Clippers probably look um, just the best in general, even though Kawhi Leonard has the league's largest that's, net rating swing. That's the wildest part about all this is because this team, you know, theoretically, Paul George, who had a million points tonight, I like had a great game just slots into that role and they should be fine. And it's not like they're a shallow team, you know, like Marcus Morris hasn't played that well, but you know, they got all these, uh, 
they've got all these other creators. They've got all, you know, they have so much talent and yet like you take them off the floor and they're just so much worse. It, I mean, that, that has to be a little bit of an anomaly, but it just, it just jumps right off the page to me. Right. And they're, look, they're losing the minutes that, um, they've actually, so they've staggered Paul George and Kawhi Leonard a little bit less than I thought Tyloo would this year. And they're, they're losing those minutes overall. Their, their defense ranks in the 38th percentile with an offense that's slightly above average when Paul George plays without Kawhi Leonard. And so maybe we're just sort of, you know, totally misreading this situation here. Uh, it's, is, is there a level of then like fatigue? Because it's like, oh, Kawhi's doing it again. But he's also just, he's more efficient on offense this year than he was uh, last year. And so as I even look at this, I'm wondering like, does having him in that, you know, second tier, is that, you know, is that unfair? And then the other part is like, I do feel like there's a switch for him defensively and also where he's not like necessarily, yeah, in certain matchups, like, yeah, you're going to see him guard a bunch of Kevin Durant or you're going to see him guard a ton of Shea Gilgis Alexander. But like, because you have Paul George, and even because you have Marcus Morris and there's like some Patrick Beverly there, the, the defensive workload that he shoulders, I feel like really isn't the same. And that's not to say he's dropped off. I just feel like if he was sort of, making the difference i guess that joel Embiid was or if he was covering you know different types of assignments and if you go and look at the matchup data like he's really kind of all over the place when you're looking at like yeah he's defended De'Aaron fox a bunch this year too when you're looking at partial possession so maybe that's not even maybe that's even a little bit unfair but it does feel like in the regular season there's very much like a defensive switch where it's some games i i watch of what i've seen the clippers and like i don't always feel him on defense where it's like oh rj barrett actually shot pretty well against him in the game that they played the knicks but then there are games where it's like oh he just decided to shut so and so down I I think it's I think it's fair to say that he looks marginally less athletic this year than he has you know even last year, um, and I think he's compensated for that by just he's so strong you know some I forget who did he dunk on uh, on the left baseline the other night where he just threw him out of the play and might have been Aaron Gordon I don't know not important he's a, and he you know, just is ripping the ball away from guys still he still has the hands but he doesn't. I think, and really, this has been a trend for the last couple of years. I think people have been pointing out that he's not, you know, Spurs Kawhi in terms of just like you, you're not allowed to dribble near him or you lose the ball. Um, but but yeah, like he's offensively as efficient as he's ever been. Um, I, it, as I think about it more, um, I don't know why he's not in the top tier. I think I think maybe it's because there is that sense that he does do some switch flipping. Um, and maybe that's not fair because all these guys do it, but it yeah, does LeBron feel like the king of it. So the king of it. I mean, he's the great. Yeah, he's the best player of all time when the switch is not flipped on. <laughs> like he still is the best guy out. There. I, well, I think. Look, let's look at the real thing. And also, I said he was getting to the rim less. He's actually getting to the rim at the same rate he is last year, which is to say twenty three percent, which is to say tying or the tying the second lowest mark of his career. He's also shooting seventy eight percent at the rim, which is just. I mean, his yeah. ability to draw fouls, like shooting fouls without getting to the rim a ton. It remains divine. But I, I think if we, like, there's no need to sugarcoat it. It's because to to this point, he has the best number two of anyone here, maybe the second best, depending on what you think of Anthony Davis's season. And uh, so he has one of the two best number twos of this four-player group where Jamal Murray or Ben Simmons isn't going to touch the way that Paul George has been playing for, for most of this year. He's had, like, some, yeah. um, some cold three-point shooting lately. 
And maybe it just feels like we're more in tune to that selective dominance and that stands out more than it would for LeBron at points. And look, the Lakers have been on defense this year. They have, I think they still have the league's best defense when you're looking at points allowed per 100 possessions. They do. Uh, But they've like, there's been visibly a switch there. And are we just numb to it? And we're with Kawhi. It feels like the past two, maybe three seasons. That's something that's sort of novel. I, I don't know, but I'm like you, the more I think about it, I'm wondering if like this needs to be like a a combined tier now where he is with is with Jokic and Bede and LeBron. Yeah, like if you had said you had Kawhi second, I think I, I don't know that I could have mustered like any indignation that you would, you know, dare to put him up there. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I think like if he ended up winning it this year, it would in a lot of ways be less surprising to me than Jokic or Embiid, which we're not talking about that. We're talking about, or at least I'm thinking of it in terms of what's happened so far. But but yeah, I think that just speaks to, it's like tier 1.5 with an asterisk for some reason. Basically. Yeah, the more That's, we talk about it, the more I want to be like trendy and try and be ahead of the curve and just pick him. He's, my, even, he's even averaging a career high 5.4 assists per game. Maybe that drops off as the year goes on like it did last year, but still just he's been, I think those are the four where I think if you picked anybody else right now, uh, I mean, we'll get into that. I'd be like, yeah. Um, but if you could pick, I think, realistically, any one of these four, and I don't know why anybody would push back. Right. I agree. And and I think to piggyback on that, the next tier down is just like a bunch of guys that I don't think realistically have any chance to win it, but sort of are belong in the conversation. It's like when you're in an argument with someone, you say, well, it's just he's in the conversation. It's like, well, what does that actually mean? It doesn't mean it's a, doesn't have a distinction. But Oh, and I, of note, by the way, since we're moving on from the first slash 1.5 tier, whatever you want to call it, um, Basketball References MVP award tracker overwhelmingly has Jokic as the favorite, um, 45.8% probability. Can you guess who's in second and what the probability is? What was Jokic's probability? 48 something? 45.8. 45.8? I don't know. I'm going to assume Leonard is second, and it's I, don't, I have no idea. What is it? Joel Embiid is second at 19.3. Wow. They just love the triple double. It's, it's the triple double, and the team's going to be good. And, and yeah, I don't know. It's like if Russell Westbrook was – actually, the Nuggets record might not be that much better than what the Thunders was when Russ won it. As of right now, uh, sixty winning percentage. I think it's it's got to be higher than that. I can check really quick, but but yeah. So that like so, that, it's the numbers, like the way they calculate it. It's based off like past yeah. results, and the, but still, that's like that's an airtight hold. Yeah, that's a big one. I'd be curious to see what it was like last year at the quarter pole. Did Gian, was Giannis like ninety five percent since he had such crazy box score numbers? I'm pretty sure he was. He you know he also had like a strangle on it, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, let's see the Thunder though. Their winning percentage was 57-3. So the Nuggets at 60, that's not that much higher than MVP Russ this season. Yeah, that could get it done. I think, um, so we, you, we just touched on Giannis. Um, he's in my third tier of like one, two, three of like four guys. Um, is he in that tier for you? Like that next chunk down or do you have him further down? So, um, my next tier actually only has two players and Giannis is not one of them all right well who are your let give me the first one in this next tier I have Kevin Durant and there was when I was doing this exercise for Bleacher Report I actually had him in the top three at one point he has missed some time since then but his numbers are still just overall ridiculous there's the element of look I think what takes away from other players voting and you look at LeBron and Kawhi specifically 
Paul George and Anthony Davis, their teammates, both of them might finish in the top 10 of MVP voting. And so I think there's a level of like that kind of has to take away from their value case because whether or not what the numbers say on the floor that, you know, the on off splits, all that shit definitely matters. But at the same time, if you're saying they have one of the 10 most valuable players in the league as teammates, that drags away from their case. Kevin Durant now has two of those guys, neither of whom actually ranks in the top 10, really. But what they're all doing best is just like, there's an overlap in their value. And Kevin Durant is clearly the best of them and his numbers this season. And look, this can't matter, but it has to be mentioned. He's coming back from an Achilles injury and not playing basketball for 18 months. And he's averaging 30.8 points per game, second second in the league. Uh, he's averaging 5.2 assists. He is shooting 57% on twos and 45.2% from three he's just an absolute offensive monster i just look it's just like i feel like such an such an a-hole talking about it in this context but it's like yeah he makes the nets you know um 13 points better per 100 possessions when he's when he's on the floor that's their net rating swing 9.4 on offense and they're actually better on defense but what does it what does it mean when you also have james harden and, and kyrie irving there is can he realistically beat out any of the guys in front of him. And yeah, maybe one or two, but how do you argue right now that Kevin Durant is more valuable to the Nets than Joel Embiid is to the Sixers or Nicole Jokic is to the Nuggets? It, it's kind of the story of his career because like, or he, you know, he's almost always played with other really great players. And, and that, I mean, it was a source of frustration for him in Golden State because I think there were moments where everyone would agree and, and you know the 2018 finals were an example where it was like he's the best player in the world there's like there's not a question but there were also stretches in that same season where everybody would kind of you know or a lot of warriors fans that watched the team closely would still say well you know it's just steph being out there that makes all this possible he's still steph is still the most important player and you know there was a dynamic of that with russ and and actually even harden a little bit before there's that same dynamic now with harden again and with kyrie like, I think he's one of the hardest candidates to evaluate. But think about this. Like, I think it's a, it's, it's a consensus opinion that Durant is one of the greatest players ever, perhaps the greatest pure scorer ever, like full stop. He's never averaged more points per 36 than he's averaging right now. He's at 30 per 36. He's never even gotten to 29 before. He's got, sorry, 29.9 and 13.14, but still, point stands. He is almost at a career high in field goal percentage overall at 53.3 and he's never shot better than the 45.2 he's hitting from three like this is arguably one of the two or three best i was gonna make this point for steph in a little while this is arguably one of the two or three best seasons we've ever seen from one of the best players in the world one of the best players of all time and like he's in the third tier of our mvp conversation for this season like, I don't know, does that just mean the league is way better than it's ever been, or are we blowing it by not having him up there with Kawhi? I, I don't know. I think you point to the defense as a as a knock. He's a selective defender. Um, he can make an impact, but that's just never been and there's know, like, a big part. I don't. The Nets are switching so much now. Like, it's tough to read his value, and so, like, he's not yeah. really – they're not throwing him at, like – yeah, he's there were, you know, they played the, I think it was the Celtics game. I saw him defend a lot of Jason Tatum. And so there will be instances of that, but it's just like his assignments are all over the place where it's like, uh, you know, he's going to defend like a lot of Rui Hachimura or someone as well, too. And so it's just tough to, and he's not going to make like these huge plays off the ball. He has held up fairly well as when he's like been um, having to contest shots at the rim, but he's not contesting a ton of shots at the rim under three per game. So like, you know, you're um, contesting about, you know, 
only slightly more shots at the rim than a Kevin Herter per game since I looked up the Kevins on the data when I was um, saying that. So, you know, I it's tough, and it feels that's why this race is so difficult because actually, if someone I said, oh, you can't pick anyone else other than those four, and you mentioned Steph, I mentioned Dame, and I'm like, you know, if you came to me and told me that you wanted to vote Dame from MVP, I probably wouldn't argue with you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I've, I've, I've. I think I've just already contradicted myself because I think I just made the case that Durant belongs up in that upper tier. Um, yeah, no, well, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm so, trying to feel like there's – look, if we're trying to get predictive, there's how many games will he miss? Um, he already missed some time when he was you know, um, in the league's health and safety protocols. And then we've seen him play. I think he's played one back-to-back this year um, so far, if I'm not mistaken. And maybe there's a chance that he plays more, but I would argue probably against it because now you have Kyrie and – and James Harden there. It's there's a tug of war there because these players shouldn't be penalized for who their teammates are. At the same time, it's also like, you know, and maybe it's even more impressive that he's able to distinguish himself despite having these teammates. So if you want to, you know, do we move him up now to the do we have tier two as Kawhi and KD and now we're getting into our tier three guys? Is that is that how we're gonna do this midstream that of the podcast? Feels right. Does all that right. feel right to you? Yeah, all right. So tier one, we have LeBron, Jokic, and Embiid. Tier two or 1.5, whatever you want to call it, is Kevin Durant and Kawhi. And so who's in your tier three? So we moved Durant out of it. Uh, he moved up. I have Steph, Dame, and I have Giannis in tier three. Um, and I feel the least comfortable with Giannis. Um, but Which is wild. It's when Giannis. it's like he's averaging so, 27, 11, and 6, basically, or I, whatever it is. I know. Like, that's the thing, is he's a little worse than last year. When he was just clearly the most statistically productive and deserved MVP, all that stuff, you know, maybe not in your top five of guys you want to be your best player to win a playoff series, uh, but that's not the question. Like, so he's just barely, you know, really. I think his his the re- the ways that he has disappointed, I guess, is the word I'd use this year, are like conspicuous because everybody's fixated on the free throw shooting. Everybody's fixated on, you know, he's not dunking nearly as much. Some of that's just the way the Bucks are playing has changed. He's not doing the things the same way that he used to. And, you know, it's easy to, to look at him and say, like, oh, he's a little bit diminished. Um, but diminished is still, just like you said, I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. He's, he's, you know, the best player on a team that has the best net rating in the league right now. Um, he's, you know, the case is there. Um, but I just... I just don't think there's really an argument for him to move up. Um, even though we said that about a couple guys and gone back on that, I don't, I just, he's at the bottom of this tier for me. Um, and it's not, it's not really that, you know, difficult for me to put him down there. Yeah. So in the spirit of this, I have him in tier four then to kind of keep in theme with what I was doing. Okay. And Dame and Steph, I'll say, are in my tier three. Dame was right there with, with Kevin Durant. Um, again, you, if you wanted to pick Dame, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into him too. With Giannis, here's the thing that's, like sort of weird for me. Um, one, he has a lower usage rate in the clutch than Chris Middleton right now, and there's the solvability to his game still exists. There's you know some of it might be the Bucks' fault at this point because and look the and this isn't like when you look at their usage rates from last season in the in the clutch, um, Milwaukee was definitely not spreading around the shots as much, but Giannis still had a forty two three usage rate in crunch time last year. Um, compared to 33-1 for Chris Middleton. And this year, just to show you like how much more dispersed it is for them, at least so far, and they haven't necessarily played 
you know, they've played, I think the team has played seven crunch time appearances, so it's not like this huge sample size. 26-7 usage. That's a huge dip, and Chris Middleton's at 28-6 to lead the league. The difference really here is, is that you also have Drew Holiday, who is at 18-4, and that's just a level of player that you didn't have there last year because Eric Bledsoe is tech, in theory a liability in those situations. The, but the solvability to his game, I think, is sort of doing him in for me this season, and maybe it, that's not fair because if the rest of the field wasn't so convincing, I wouldn't be looking at that as much, and I certainly wasn't looking at it last season, but even the context of how you view him changes because I kind of thought, you know, him taking three-pointers and these pull-up jumpers, like that in itself, the volume is a weapon. I call it the Marcus Smart effect. But the, mm-hmm. the difference with Marcus Smart is that he's gotten to a point where there will be seasons where he actually shoots well from three. And last year he shot 40% on pull-up threes. Like Giannis just hasn't gotten to that point. And so at at some time, is it like, okay, you know, do we need him? Like, can you just ban him from taking those pull-up three-pointers can you ban him from taking um more mid-range jumpers like should you focus on posting him up more and then that's all compounded on the fact of um compounded by the fact of i still don't know that he's figured out how to play when there's someone in the dunker spot like that's going to help with milwaukee's offensive rebounding and it you know it's it's different and makes them uh there's more variance in their attack but it doesn't look like he's fully comfortable with it either and in a field this deep i think every little bit has to matter there. So he's just, you know, the the lack of growth, I guess, even if you want to pepper in the fact that he is dealing with a different way that the the Bucks are playing. And, you know, maybe they could use him a little bit better more. Like, what if if Giannis was just like, you know, you don't want to say this strictly, but what if Giannis was replaced, you know, some of those um, pull-up threes or those mid-range looks with possessions where he's, you know, the role man more. Um, what can we do with like, what is going to, can his post game be a little bit better? I think this season he's averaging 0.79 points per possession on post-ups, only about 11% of his plays, but that's, you know, that's 11% of his plays. It's 2.8 possessions per game. So there, the word I use again is just solvability. He still feels if he went into the postseason that he can be solved. And while this is a regular season award, there's that granular level at least has to matter in, in this discussion and look he set the bar high because of what he's done the past two seasons there's voter fatigue is definitely unfair but also it's like if you haven't really changed and there are instances of your game where you've just slightly regressed even even a little bit and yes you have new teammates and drew Holiday, yada 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 the bucks are playing differently that stuff has to matter too yeah i think it's interesting to just how quickly uh, uh i don't know a perception of a player can change because I think as recently as, I mean, even last year, you could have said, uh, but certainly in the couple of years before that, so much of what made Giannis, uh, I mean, obviously, he was obviously productive, but what made him so interesting was like, here's this seven foot guy that can bring the ball coast to coast and Euro step around everybody and just do stuff physically that you've never seen. So you assume that, well, like, of course, he's going to learn how to shoot threes. Of course, he's going to add all these wrinkles to his game. And really, what happened instead is he just sort of got very good at the couple of things that he did well because he was just a physical marvel and is a physical marvel. But I think so looking at him now today, I think it's it's unrealistic to expect he's just going to round out completely. I think this is the player that he is. And I think ultimately what that probably means is that he isn't and you pointed to the usage rate stats like he isn't the guy that you give the ball to and say, like, take us home. I, I think he's like you alluded to also, 
he's the guy that sets the screen. I think someone else has which to be. Which they don't do, by the way. The frequency no, with which he's used as the role man this year is actually down from last year, which I would argue makes zero sense. They're fig- Well, contrary to how uh, the Bucks have operated generally, they are figuring this out because I think Zach Lowe said today that that you know, there was a point in mid-January where Giannis set like 36 ball screens, which is the most he'd set ever. And this is just within the last two weeks. So okay. their numbers are down on the year, but they are using him increasingly as the as a ball screener, which is like, thank you. I think I think that's the best way to sort of actualize what he can do. But if that's what if that's your role, that doesn't really uh, sound MVP-ish to me because that means somebody else is the one making the decisions. It's like Draymond Green was the role guy, and you know the, some of the best iterations of the Warriors. You would never call him the MVP. It's like just a different. It's a different position to be in. So great player. Um, I and just, the free throw shooting is unforgivable. That's just it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I, I think there's been some pushback on on like uh, real stat nerd Twitter about how like. Well, an individual player's free throw shooting isn't isn't you know gets really overblown um, because it is so obvious. And if it's a superstar like this, you know you can really fixate on it, but it doesn't ultimately affect a team's ceiling. And it's to me, it's like bullshit because at the end of games, <laughs> like you're gonna foul this guy because otherwise he'll dunk on you. And then he's got he's shooting fifty nine percent. Like of course that matters, especially if you're a team that wants to go where the Bucks want to go. We're getting way out of the MVP discussion, but like you cannot you cannot seriously tired tell me that a guy that is a huge factor on a would-be contender shooting 59 percent from the foul line at high volume you can't tell me that's not a problem like that's it's that's ridiculous i get it in the sense of like so if he shot 70 percent on free throws instead of 59.3 it's a difference of 10 or 11 points right that he would have scored this year but if you view it in the context of you know later in the games you're giving teams like sort of a point of weakness to focus on where it's like no you shouldn't yeah you give Giannis the ball if you have to but at the same time it's like you'd rather have Drew Holiday you'd rather have Chris Middleton have it so it's I I get like it's not a ton of points when you're talking about can he at least get to to 70 percent so it's not like a, a huge form of that but at the same time and I'm trying to look at what he's shooting he's shooting 60 percent on free throws in the clutch this season. And again, not, not a huge sample size. It's three of five. Okay. That's a terrible, but it's just like, that's another thing to harp on. And again, we have to split hairs when we're having this discussion, but I think he set the bar so high and now he's sort of maybe leveled off. If we want to say that he hasn't taken a step back and it's like, okay, how much longer can we overlook the missing parts of his game? And the fact that he's sort of like trying to, I don't know, like force, Force his way, uh, force his way through them. Where should he still be taking over four to three point attempts per game if he's shooting under thirty percent on them? How much value does that add to the defense? And I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. Maybe it was, I think, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was Jared Dubin was on it. Uh, but anyway, mentioned how at this point, Giannis needs to put together like two years of good yeah. three point shooting for defenses to actually guard him consistently for it. You'll always get the occasional someone's going to overreact or if he gets really hot one night maybe they play him a little bit tighter, but most of these people are going to look at it as if Giannis goes say 4 of 8 from 3, 5 of 9, whatever it is, on a given night and they lose and it's, if it's in a playoff series they're going to say, "You know what? He beat us tonight and there was nothing that we could do about it." I wish I could remember the podcast I I heard that on, so I apologize if I if I missourced it. Can we talk about Steph? Because he's in—he's actually at the top of this tier. I kind of buried the lead on that one. Yeah, I'm here for it. 
All right. So I've made a lot of these same points for Durant, but it's basically, I mean, there's a, there's a strong case that like, this is his best non-unanimous MVP season um, because that one's just untouchable, but he's basically replicating his 2018, 19 numbers, not, which was not an MVP season, but he was still phenomenal. He was fifth in MVP voting that year. Um, And like, just to think about, you know, we talked about the talent of teammates in a lot of other ways, you know, for everybody, but like to be as good as he was basically a couple of years ago when he had Durant, when he had a healthy Clay Thompson, when he had Draymond Green, you know, two years ago, which is a big deal based on how he's progressed uh, on the aging curve um, to do that with like ridiculously inferior talent that fits so much worse and makes it so much harder on him. You can tell the Homer in me is coming out right now because I'm <laughs> passionate about this. But like with like the level of attention he gets, like possession to possession, I think is greater than any single player in the league. Because if you're playing the Warriors, no one else is really going to hurt you in a significant way other than my 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 hero and man crush, Andrew Wiggins, that I'm deeply in love with now. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. But like playing well still. Up- we, I mentioned that we last recorded that you're not really being seduced by early season Andrew Wiggins, but he's still playing pretty well. Andrew Wiggins is objectively a good basketball player. Andrew he's Wiggins worth... right now is objectively not a bad basketball player. No, like he's there's... objectively good. Look at all those blocks, Dan. He's like the a defense. Okay. Yeah, like that's fair. That's fair. Um, he's shooting over forty percent from three. Where's Andrew? Should Andrew Wiggins be in this tier? Do we need <laughs> to redo this? No, but so yeah, Steph. Degree of difficulty for Steph is off the charts, and he's basically having a season that a couple of years ago warranted fifth place in the MVP voting. So um, I, I just it, he and it hasn't even felt like he's had that good a season. He's had moments, but he's had bad games where he's getting boxed and won, and like all you know, it's just been impossible for him to move, get clean looks. He's playing. He's he's playing in these lineups. I mean, Wiseman's hurt now, but like Kelly Oubre has had one of the worst shooting starts to a season ever. He literally runs into Steph when Steph's trying to shoot relocation threes. Ubre is, is literally in the way of Steph someone who's visibly like... visibly mad all the time when that happens. You know how hard it is to make Steph Curry visibly mad? Well, it's, it's like impossible. Like, it feels like it's pretty easy this season. <laughs> it is now because guys are running into his spots when he's like, I just ran six miles at top speed <laughs> to try to get open. And everyone on the floor knows this is where I'm going, except you, Kelly, and you happen to be here. It's, and so Wiseman is not providing spacing. Draymond is a total zero as a spacer. Um, it's just like, it's wild to me that he's been this productive in, under these circumstances. So, you know, we've if we're going to hold like really good teammates against some of these guys, whether that's fair or not, I think we have to acknowledge that Steph is working with just really tough circumstances and having a great year. Yeah, and look, the so the Warriors offense when Steph is off the court ranks in the first percentile. Is that so, good or is that bad? Uh it's awesome. It is the Kelly Oubre Jr. Of, of offensive ratings. Here's this is like sort of an unrelated question, but I think it builds up his case. Draymond Green is officially an offensive liability, right? Just because the thing that I found interesting I had I'd watched a couple consecutive Warriors games and I was actually surprised that they weren't running Draymond Green without Stephen Curry more because it just felt like yeah I know you have you know a Wiggins or you have excuse me well now Wiseman's coming off the bench too if, if he's you know once he's healthy so there's like different thing like variations that you can run out but 
Draymond has logged 983 possessions, and I brought this up to Adam the other day on the podcast. Can you guess how many have come without Steph on the court? Oh, it's got to be like under 25. 13. Uh, it's, yeah, it's he's I, never out there by himself. And what, like at that point, if you can't, if you're not going to play him, I don't know, maybe they're just thinking like, hey, our bench minutes are going to be like a disaster. Um, or our Stephen Curry minutes are going to non Stephen Curry minutes going to be a disaster no matter what. We want to make sure we have our two best guys on the floor as much as possible. But like the theory of Draymond Green's playmaking and his decision making in general going downhill is that he should be able to anchor those units. But the fact that he can't, um, it builds up Stephen Curry's, or the fact that maybe the Warriors think that he can't. I think that builds up Steph's MVP case because they're not playing Draymond Green independent of him right now, and I don't think that says anything about Steph really as much as it does about Draymond there. So. The case writes itself for him. I will say the only reason I didn't pick him over Damian Lillard, and you could also argue like Dame had CJ for so long this season, and CJ was just been like absolutely bonkers this year. Yeah. Um, is it feels like Steph has lower lows on certain nights, if that makes any sense. And like looking, I looked at it, and they're just like more nights for Stephen Curry where it's like. Oh, did he shoot like four of like sixteen or sort not even that, like a seven of nineteen or or whatever it is. And so part of that might just be that the shot selection is higher variance, but also I'm looking at Damian Lillard and just he continues to get better every single year. Um yeah, this season, by the way, he and this probably comes as a surprise to absolutely no one, but Damian Lillard leads the league in shots made outside twenty seven feet. Stephen Curry is second. Um, one and two right there. And they're both shooting what would be above the league average from from three on those looks, which is just stupid. That's just stupid. Uh, but Damian Lillard is finishing better at the rim. Uh, he is averaging um, 7.3 assists per game, which would be the second highest of his career. It's down a tick from last year, but he's also averaging fewer minutes. When you look at the the per 36 minutes, they're, they're a lot closer to what he was doing last season. And so the fact that he's able to do that, he's still someone for the, the types of shots he takes and the traffic that he needs to, to navigate. I'm always just amazed that he doesn't have a turnover rate like in the teens, and that's still at 11.5 from there. His usage rate is 30.8, which is tied for the, the – or is the third highest of his career right now. Uh, he like I mentioned, he's finishing better around the rim, not at career high levels, but just better. His in between game has just been nuts. He's shooting fifty two point six percent on long twos, which he doesn't take all that often, but they're still counting for almost ten percent of his shots. Forty two point nine percent between ten and sixteen feet, and forty six point seven percent, which would be another career high from that floater range between three and ten. This is like a. I feel like he's never been more of an every level scorer right now. And then when you're looking at, you know, we're talking about. Um, net rating swings throughout this entire podcast. Look, he's up there. Uh, 21.1 points. Uh, the Blazers are 21.1 points better per 100 possessions with him on the court. 20.8 of those are on the offensive end. They're still slightly better with him on defense on the court this season. So uh, all that stuff matters. And there, I mean, you look at just the type of shots that him being on the floor, It's to me, it's like the level of Steph now. We're just having him on the court, opens all these opportunities for other teammates. Um, the Blazers are their effective field goal percentage is seven points better um, when he's on the court, which is one of the highest marks in the league. It's actually the fifth highest among anyone who's logged at least two hundred and forty minutes. So, um, and Steph, by the way, is seventh. So you talk about guys who are like neck and neck; they're both just right there. I I went it, the the separation for me was just yeah, Damian Lillard has better teammates, although there've been a ton of. Injuries there. Yusuf Nurkic, CJ McCollum's out now. They haven't had Zach Collins, although I don't know how much that matters. Uh, but 
Steph just seems to have like these these lower lows. Maybe that's a byproduct of the teammates that he's playing with, but that was ultimately sort of the they're in the same tier, but ranking Dame ahead of Steph was was my decision there. And yeah, I guess it probably matters that as of right now, the Blazers are are a tick better overall than the Warriors. Yeah, I think they share in common the I mean, if we're talking about like their actual chances to win, both of these teams I think are gonna struggle to kind of hang around the good side of five hundred all year. And so that's just that's just not gonna be good enough. I don't know if that's fair, but but yeah, that's just where they are. The other thing about Dame, he's the best pick and roll ball handler in the league. Um one point one seven points per per play. And that's a lot of a lot of that's because he's just gonna it come around the screen that gets set high and shoot it from thirty. But, um, you know, the pick and roll is still kind of a pretty important facet of an NBA offense. And if you have the guy that is the absolute best at that in terms of high volume pick and roll ball handlers, that's that's a pretty good start um, to, to having a good team. So. You just That's another area where Steph doesn't run them nearly as much, but 1.17 points per possession for Damian Lillard in as a pick and roll ball handler. Steph is 1.14. They're just right. so close yeah. in every offensive it, category. They're, they're like, you can't avoid the comparisons. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're right there. And I don't have a problem. Look, with Lillard Damian, has, but... where Steph has like that, streaky gene where there's like at any minute you could envision him going off for like 40 points in a span of 12 minutes or whatever it is Damian Lillard has like that clutch gene we saw it against the Bulls the other night we scored six points in under 10 seconds and like there's no way to quantify that outside of his crunch time shooting but whenever he puts it up in I haven't had that feeling with Steph since the um his unanimous MVP season where I thought every shot was going in now it just feels like there's more higher variance to his game with with Damian Lillard I'm still at that point where I expect particularly down the stretch of close games, just all the shots to go in. I tried not to let that weigh how I'm, you know, um, or at least factor into how I'm determining this, but there is that. No, I agree. I agree. He definitely has the, I, I push back a little bit on, I think Steph still has these stretches where it's just like a joke. Uh, you know, some of the shots he makes in succession, but Dame, like there's no denying Dame is just the ultimate close. I think right Steph now. still has that level of he could be the best player in the NBA for a given season or a half season or something and still has that in him where I don't know yeah. that Dame has that level because Stephen Curry's shot making and ball handling is just on this like completely other level. It's it is utterly undiminished. Like his ability, I mean his in-between game and 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 his handle and traffic and stuff is I think it's better than it's ever been. Um good, partly because it's had to be because there's say. three guys on him all the time. Does he have an option? Um, no. Uh so that's the end of our of my third tier. Um and then my fourth tier is almost just a bunch of guys that like I would have felt bad not mentioning um but that I think right now are not even remotely serious considerations for the award. Do you have another chunk of guys that you know, are, are not just sort of honorable mention status. Um, just a manual quickly. And that's basically it. <laughs> no. Are we giving MVPs for having the best floater in the world? Cause he's I'm, running away with it. I mean, he, first of all, that might be Rashawn Holmes who has the best floater. Or maybe, oh yeah. Well, guard. So yeah, well, an all in, we need to do an all NBA floater team. That would be a good idea. I, I do have like another tier of guys. Okay. I'm, assu- I'm assuming that you have, um, AD and Paul George and yours. Yes. Did you also have? Um, J- did you also have Jason Tatum there? I have Jalen Brown slash Jason Tatum because I refuse to choose between the two. It's of them. Differentiating them between is so tough, and I think Jalen Brown's though improvement has kind of overshadowed the season that Jason Tatum I, is having. I agree, and I, look, I just I don't know if this is a spicy take, but I think Jason Tatum might be the best off-ball defender in the league. Ooh, interesting. There's, Tell me more. 
I don't know if that is, if we want to like, first of all, there are just smarter basketball minds than me who could probably disagree with that. But there is just, no, he's not always going to, I don't think you want to have him on someone to be like, hey, you need to go shut down this guy. But he can just bust up plays from everywhere. And he's so smart about using space and angles. And it always just feels like you can't throw um, an entry pass or a cross court pass and have it go like, uncontested or you know even be completed without like some sort of duress after it leaves your hands when he's on the court and so I feel like he's so smart there and I've watched more of the Celtics lately than I had at the beginning of the year and I just marvel at what he's able to do um, as an off-ball defender and I don't know if it's to the level of where you would call him like you know how do you differentiate between there's easy on ball off ball but then like how does the how does a good team defender sort of factor into that and the fact that he's not going to you know protect the rim a ton but he also can break up these plays from behind i think i might be there though where he is and anyone who's listening who wants to call me out and be like no you're an asshole this is just not true uh you know does anthony davis count as the best off ball defender in the nba just because he's all over the place but i think if we're talking wings maybe or wings and guards or just perimeter based players i think he might right now be my best off-ball defender in the NBA. Um, you know, does Giannis sort of fall into that category too? Who knows? Well, league leader in deflections per game, Larry Nance Jr. is very upset at you right now. Uh, no, I think, I think, I, I don't think that's crazy. I guess like who would, who used to hold that title? Would, I feel is like it Robert Giannis? Covington, I feel like we, people, just because he was the defensive player of the year, they kind of assume that he's like, oh, he's just shut down. But he's more of, I guess, a rim protector than what a traditional wing would be. But the the Bucks still aren't like, hey, you need to guard this person. Like they sort of want to have him on a lesser player so that he can bust up plays all over the place. And so maybe he I'm gonna say Jason Tatum is I'll cop out and say like top two or three in the best off ball defenders then. So I I just don't even do we even talk about that category? Is that even a category that's discussed? It should be. That's well because everybody's we every year we're kind of trying to figure out how the Celtics punch above their weight defensively with Daniel Tice at center last year. And, you know, how are they doing this? And every Brad Stevens team always does that. Well, it's like maybe because, you know, the harder to the harder to see the less visible elements, like, off, you know, off-ball defense, like maybe they have a bunch of guys that are good at that. I don't know. Maybe you're onto something. Um, but I do I, – I guess the moral of the story was Jason Tatum was just uh, – well, Jalen Brown has been so good this year and just so much yeah. better where I think, you know, it's – probably not a hot take to say that he's been a top 25 guy this year top 20 whatever you want to say it's sort of overshadowing that hey jason tatum is averaging you know 26.8 points 3.6 assists shooting 43.1 percent on threes 51 point uh 51 percent on twos which would be a career high if it holds uh he's just having a fantastic year and like jalen brown is going to play both sides of the floor i don't know that he could ever work his way into like the top of this discussion um because maybe he and Jalen Brown are on like such and look at any given point, you could probably argue that like they have three guys who could be on equal footing where not a lot of teams have that. You have the nets. If Kemba ever hits, he has not this season. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to, to pair them. Well, I mean, I did that with, uh, I did that with three guys that are in this, this like got to mention them tier on the jazz. Cause the, you can't pick a jazz MVP. I well, you probably would have to pick Mike Conley right now, which I was just not prepared to do. So I just kind of lumped Gobert, Mitchell, even though Mitchell hasn't played that well, and Conley together as like we have to mention them because Utah's so good and it's partly because of them. I don't know. That's that's just me being indecisive. Uh, to I an think even I would extent. pick Gobert just because of still just like the transcendental impact he has for them defensively. Yeah. And Mitchell, I don't know that you could pick him just because until that Jazz winning streak, uh, like he, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you have yeah. anybody else listed? I got a bunch more names. Um, Bradley Beal leads the league in scoring. My only note for him is points, exclamation point, losses, exclamation point. Um, I just feel like if you lead the league in scoring efficiently, you got to get some I some th- shine. But, I thought about that, but the Wizards have the worst record in the league. But, but you're not an idiot, so you didn't say it on a podcast? Yeah, all right. I, I have one that might be idiotic, and the on-off splits will never, ever support it. I'm actually wondering if you could guess it. An MVP candidate, well, fringy, fringy, fringy candidate that has bad on-off splits? Correct. Oh, I don't know. Um, who's my... Bam? No, that would probably be a good one, though. Does he have bad on-off splits? I haven't actually looked at I don't know. He's just on my list, and I wanted to mention him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had Chris Paul. Okay, so I had him in this honorable mention, and then I quickly deleted him because I was just like, "You're just this is a legacy pick. He hasn't been that good for the Suns. Um, but he's won him a couple games in the clutch recently, so maybe he is, that's... He is shooting 13 of 22 from mid-range in crunch time. And because they've dealt with... You know, their their guard rotation is... I would say it's not the deepest, but they've gotten good minutes this year from campaign, which helps. But And by the way, that's 59.1%, if anyone wanted to know, like, what he's shooting from mid-range in the clutch, which is basically right in line with what he shot from mid-range in the clutch last year but i'm also just like sort of looking they've needed him more than i think even they would have anticipated because they devin booker missed some time um they've had other guys who are out dario sarge has been in health and safety protocols and then just because of the nature of the guard rotation and how much they're uh really staggering guys he's played a ton of minutes lately like overall on the season um he's at 32.9, 32.9, which is probably more than you want him at at this stage because Chris Paul is um, 35 years old. But if It's his most since 14-15. Right, and in his last 10 games specifically, there's been two overtime games in this, I believe. He's at like 35 minutes per game. And if you even sort of isolate that down, if I went last seven, I bet you that number shoots up too. Mm. Uh, he's at 35.2 over the last seven. So the fact that they need him to play so much and then just what he's been able to do for them in crunch time, the on-off splits don't support it. Their starting lineup... Um, pretty much regardless of the version they've used, whether it's with Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson, the numbers are not great there. I think the team in general is starting to stabilize, but Chris Paul has done such a good job of keeping them in games and then navigating crunch time, even with, you know, the other night when they beat the Mavericks in crunch time, like he found Devin Booker, um, that he hit that would end up being the, the go-ahead winning three. I believe that was him. And then just the big shots yeah. he's hit in general. I mentioned him. I don't know that he has a path to working his way into like one of our main tiers, but and maybe I'm factoring in the age and playing time too much here. But the, the clutch performance on its own is just like, oh, he's not shooting well from three during those minutes, but he's still just money, and he can still, you know, he doesn't get to the rim a ton, but he's still able to just cook bigs whenever they switch on to him. Oh my god, the it was just a never-ending series against the Mavs of him snaking the pick and roll and just going left, getting the guy on his back, getting to the right elbow, and just the center can't get close enough to do anything. And it's just we, making 12-footers. I know he's only like four games or whatever it is into his return, but we're going to have to have a conversation about Kristaps Porzingis pretty soon, I think, if he doesn't perk up. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm so hesitant. So Luca, I put Luca in this tier also, since we're talking Mavericks, just sort of in reference to that. But um, the whole Mavs thing, I, I'm not I, – I don't want to – and Porzingis, like you said, a few games back, looks bad. It's very scary to be that tall and have multiple knee operations. Like, that's concerning. Everything about the Mavs feels concerning, but they've had the hardest luck. I, I mean, everybody's had a rough go, but the COVID stuff has hit them as hard as anybody. Luca was out of shape when he came in. Um, his body language really sucks this year. He's been, like, really 
just a, like a negative influence, I think, in a lot of ways, like towards teammates on himself. He's complaining all the time. It's just like a real bad look. Um, it's, but at the same time, I just don't want to put so much stock in this weird season. But it, if, if I just emotionally, it's like I'm concerned that Luca is, is not uh, the kind of player I thought he would be at this state, you know, based on last year and the year before. Um, I put him in this anyway because even in a terrible year, his numbers are look really good. Um, and I think if he gets into shape and the Mavs get everybody healthy and get a rhythm, like he might just go back to being 32, 10 and 10 for the rest of the year. Um, which will get him into the conversation for MVP at the end of the year, but uh, it's it's been rough so far. He's just a total legacy pick for me um, to to be included at all. I actually did not have him listed. I probably should have because he has the numbers. My thing with him is is I don't want to say it's similar to Giannis in that you know if Giannis is going to do certain things like take those threes or those pull ups, or if you even want to waste time like posting him up, like he needs to hit those at like a better clip than he is this season. I, I know there's more to Doncic's three-point shooting than his percentage. I've been a big advocate for that. The level of difficulty matters because of how it opens up, not just things for every for everybody else, but the rest of his game, for what he's able to do in, inside the arc because of where he's at threat level. But if you're going to take so many step-back three-pointers like or step-back jumpers in gen- general, doesn't there come a time where you need to hit? He's at 30.5, 30.6% on step-back threes this year. Doesn't there come a time where you need to hit a higher percentage of them than he is right now. And maybe he's not there yet because this is only year three. But the other thing that's a part of it, and look, I think there's roster flaws around him. They still just don't have that shot creator. And I don't know that they've been the worst three-point shooting team in the league so far this year. Um, Seth Curry definitely would have helped that. I don't know how much he helps like your off-the-dribble creation. He doesn't even have to do. He does even less of that in Philly now. But you look at just their their shooting spreads in crunch time. More than half of their looks in crunch time this year have come from three-point range, and surprise, surprise, they're not shooting well on those, and so it's just, he's part of that, because I think that that's his crutch still. I don't know how much of that is on him, I don't know how much it is on the Mavericks, but if that's going to be a staple for you, and I'm open to this being an unfair take, and this is someone who's in year three, so let me also, you know, clarify that, but I kind of, like, I kind of think at some point, if that's going to be your MO, you, you need to be more efficient than while you're while you're doing it maybe he's still so efficient inside the arc that it doesn't matter and his game isn't i think he's better at finishing through contact than he was definitely as a rookie oh Um, yeah but you know i think his shot profile definitely in crunch time too like that is part of why they've struggled during those points but again i don't know how much of that is to blame on the roster and how much of that is to blame on a small sample but my my one argument would be if you're going to take so many step back threes i think there comes a point where you probably need to hit more of them i agree i think the Giannis parallel is really interesting um because he i think shares has created a similar sense of like well everything is possible for him because of the numbers he put up as a 20 year old. And even as a 19 year old, um, that like you say, you know, maybe at some point it's not realistic to expect him to be a 40% three point shooter on like a reasonable volume because he's just going to take these bad shots and you just can't get good at these bad shots. So you have to take fewer of them, which actually to his credit, he's taking more long twos this year which I don't know if anyone's ever said to his credit, he's taking more <laughs> long twos, but he's a really good two point jump, sh- jump shooter. So, um, you know, if that's his way of dealing, you know, of, of, of adjusting somehow, I don't know, like his effective field goal percentage is 
51.3. It's 53.1 last year. So it's it's even with just really his threes not falling, uh, he's still just fine. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's also shooting like I think he's 43 of 78 on floaters. I'll punch that into account. 55.1 percent. It's like he's there's that element there for him yeah. too. Yeah. Also, he's tied for sixth in in Raptor wins above replacement. <laughs> he's had what for him is a dog shit season, and he's by I, some metrics, I, you know, almost a top five guy. I do find it interesting that he's not in Basketball References MVP tracker. Um, yeah, as, in just, the top ten, as I mean. Yeah, so I mean, the team is dis. I don't know what what I don't know what Basketball Reference factors in, but like. We're I'm we're talking about him as an I'm talking about him as an afterthought. You didn't put him on your list, so I think that I would add him now though because I think. Um, although I don't know if I'm being like colored by the fact that he was the betting favorite this year. Um, I did not yeah. pick him. By the way, did you? I probably did. I, I, I don't remember. We did um, predictions for work. I had Jason Tatum. I, I think I, went, I was getting a little too trendy there. Well, ended up being a better pick Doncic. than Luka Doncic as of 20 games into this season, though. Just yeah. FYI. No, I, I. Do you have anybody else? I already threw Bam out there. Just like he's makes mid rangers now, which is great, and he's an awesome passer and defender. But the Heat are terrible, and um, that's not all his fault by any stretch. But not a realistic MVP for me right now. I mean, if we wanted to get this, would be like super into the weeds, but we probably need to shout out Nikola Vucevic. Oh wow! Who look well the, best best year of his career, right? By a lot of by a lot of the metrics so far. Right. Yeah. So I did. I graded. Um, or I ranked the best shooters in the league to date so far. And I just went, it was purely statistical. It was just measuring how much value they've added from mid range on corner threes and above the break threes. He graded out, I think is like the sixth most valuable shooter in the league this year, because he's shooting 43.3% from three. He's hitting his mid rangers. He's done a ton from above the break and he's just look steady. He's just, he shouldn't belong in this conversation. The magic are bad. And I don't even know if they've, I did not check this. I don't know if they even want winning the minutes that he's on the court, but he's just like, that team is not good. Their offense is really clumpy. And the fact that he still continues to be so efficient in it offensively, just probably underrated. It's like this weird thing where he's been so good this year, but uh, (laughs) would you be able to trade him? just because of the way the market is with it. You would be able to trade him. I don't want to say he's immovable. Like, what would you get for him if you just decided to to trade him? And so um, my guess is this has a lot to do with the lineups he's played in, but um, they're actually worse. Their they're net rating is in the ninth percentile when he's on the court, and it's better when he's oh. uh, off the court. I'm just shouting him out because he's having a, a fantastic offensive season. He's shooting 6.1 threes a game. I mean, that's – and and making 2.6. I, I don't – I mean, I, I'm sure that – having done this a million times sorting stats like this, I would be willing to bet that like, if you sorted how many guys in the last, whatever sent in the three point era at, at Vucevic's height have shot six threes a game and made 43%, it would be like him and Carl Anthony Towns. And that would be it. Like that would, that would be the list. So I, 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 someone will look this up, but I mean, it's, that's always the guy that comes back. So anytime you're in that, that category, like you're doing something pretty cool, but it's, also, he's getting to the foul line twice a game. How do you possibly do that? How do you do that, playing that many minutes, having the ball that much? It's incredible. Uh, I mean, you you take a bunch of you take a bunch of jumpers <laughs> and you make them all. I guess, but, yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's see. I think that's the extent. Oh, I put James Harden on here, but in bold letters, I said you can't be on the short list when you quit on a team. Um, so that's 
that's the beginning and end of the conversation for him. He was Vooch graded for me that as the eighth most valuable uh, shooter. He is he has been shooting forty four percent on his above the break three pointers. That's is, wild. That is that is absolutely bonkers. I don't know if there's anyone else I would add here. There'd be a different exercise. Vooch made me think of this like the MVPs. If we didn't care about team record at all, like would there like Bradley Beal might be a perfect case study for that. Whereas how yeah. better are the Wizards if you rip Bradley Beal off of them right now? <laughs> like how much worse can a team be? Is it's really the, like would they have zero wins? I don't know. Maybe they would just win because it's guaranteed they lose if he gets forty. That's like a fact. So you know if you take that out of there, maybe they just win. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander would be on there too. He's had a great year. I will say, at the beginning of the year, I thought there was a chance at the very beginning, which feels like forever ago. I thought there was a chance that Trey Young would work his way into the periphery of this discussion, if not the meat and potatoes of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not worked out. He's playing better than he was during that stretch, but he was like disappointing for a while with the way that he was shooting. His floaters weren't falling, his threes weren't hitting, uh, and Atlanta just has been, you know, they've they've been banged up this year too. Um, they're still sixth in the East, which I guess is impressive, even though that means they're one game under 500. But I thought he was going to have more of a stake in this discussion. Should we have talked about Chris Middleton at all? The 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 king of being overlooked, basically. Uh, I'm I'm definitely open to talking. Hey, look, you're talking about cr- number one crunch time option on the Bucks, Chris Middleton. Right on a team that a lot of people think is going to get to the finals. I, I mean, I don't know, like. He definitely is the guy that you want to have the ball. Like, look, okay, so the 50-40-90 thing, also, sidebar, I feel like there's way too many guys that are flirting with 50-40-90 this year. I feel like when I'm writing, I come across, you know, a handful of those. That's not always how it's been. Anyway, Middleton, 51.7 from the field, 45.8 from deep, 92.2 from the foul line, career high 21.2 points career-high six assists per game. Doesn't that feel uh, career- low? I mean, this, the assists feel high, but I thought he was averaging more until you just said what he actually was averaging. It was like 20.7 points or whatever it is. I, I feel like it should be higher. I agree it should be higher. Because, like, it, here's, a, here's a new thing. It's kind of like how I feel like it's such an old head, uh, you know, thing to say, like, well, if he was, if a guy was uh, seven of nine from the field, why the hell wasn't he, you know, 14 of 30 like if you're that hot keep shooting it's you know which is a stupid old school kind of way to think but like if you're shooting 50 51 45 92 uh let's get him some looks let's knock those down to like you know 48 of 41 because he's just taking more shots and let's get a little more volume um i I don't know i yeah i i think Look, if we're gonna talk about, yeah, we should have included him in the at least in the honorable mentions. Well, we're still we're still rounding those out. I would probably I don't know if I should bounce Vooch from that just because of how bad the Magic are, but he's having a hell of a year. But he would be, I think. I mean, look, he's averaging more potential assists per game than Donovan Mitchell. Nine point two <laughs> potential assists. Donovan Mitchell's at nine point one. He's probably averaging more assists than Donovan Mitchell too. To be honest with you, Donovan Mitchell's like forever in the four to five range. I don't know the exact numbers there. No, six assists is ridiculous. Fifty. Here's a new one: fifty, forty, ninety, and six assists. Like, who's done that? Um, yeah, I don't have anybody else. I was just looking through like some of the catch-alls, and and there was Middleton way up there high again, and we weren't we didn't talk. Do you think about there's him. a chance? That- Mitchell, four point six assists per game for Mitchell, which is a career high this year. Do you think there's a chance that James Harden can work his way higher up? Because we didn't even really mention him. You said like he would be in your honorable mentions, and he's like. It says a lot that his numbers with the Nets are kind of just like 
oh, he's averaging 24 points and um, 12, 12 assists. assists per game, like whatever. If this keeps up, I mean, he's averaging 40 minutes per game, by the way, since he went to the Nets. There's probably a chance that he yeah. would finish in top five still. I think so. I mean, the argument, my the main thing against him, which is, you know, unfair, and it's like he really did quit on the Rockets. That's a bad look. But that shouldn't, I mean, if we're being totally objective and serious about this, that shouldn't matter. Um, and I do think, so I, I I had to work the, the Clippers-Nets last night, and, um, you know, it was a really good defensive performance for the Nets relative to what they've done. Um, and, and Harden, like, Harden had a lot to do with it because Kawhi tried to bully him in the mid-range, tried to post him up a few times. You just can't post Harden up. And if they're going to switch everything and sort of invite isolation attacks, Harden's going to hold up. It's when he's trying to get through screens. That's why every team he's been on for the last seven, eight years has switched because he just doesn't work hard to get through screens. But if he's in a one-on-one matchup, he's an able defender. Like the closer he is to the basket, the tougher he is to score on. So if if in addition to just continuing to go 24 and 12 and shoot efficiently, um, he can be like not a zero defensively, then yeah, I think you have to put, I don't know what tier you put him in. You put him right back up there, you know, with. I mean, if he's going to pass like this, just because of how instrumental that becomes to sort of balancing everyone's touches, Mm -hmm. I would say there's a chance that he could finish above Durant then in voting. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, um, I think part of it, if we're just talking about like the, you know, voting and narratives and possible outcomes. Um, I think there would be a pathway for him because I think a lot, at least me, and I think a lot of other people too, kind of thought that like, there's no going back for him in terms of style of play. Like he's just, the way that he played with the Rockets is just not curable. But I think a lot of people will be enthused and like encouraged if he just is an awesome point guard again and plays like actual basketball. And and, and he said, I know some people don't like to read into this, but he said all the right things. Like ever since the trade to Brooklyn, he's like, I don't care about points. I just want to win. And I'm going to try and set up my teammates. And like, there's, there's a ton of value in that because everyone has to make concessions in that dynamic. And still long-term, I think it's fragile in the sense that someone has to be the number one option or someone's going to get the KD treatment. Like it wasn't golden state, except it's, trickles down a little further because I think one, two is a little bit easier there um, than the, or maybe it'll be the same dynamic where it's like, Oh, Kevin Durant is more important or James Harden is more important than Kevin Durant, whatever ends up being long-term. Maybe that's something to watch, but for him to just say, I'm going to be the the de facto point guard um, for most of the stints and um, for this team, like that's absolutely huge. And look, if he's going to lead the league in assists, that's a, that's a huge boon unto itself right there. Well, the other thing for him is at least right now, um, Steve Nash is using him without Irving or Durant uh, as like against second units. And he was just eating last night. And I, if that's, if, if you're going to get James Harden and like, I don't care who else is out there with him against backups, like he's just going to, I mean, he's going to have a field day. So he's going to still get to do his Harden stuff and pile up numbers that way. And then fit into a, you know, three-star system when he plays the starters. I think there definitely is a pathway for his numbers and his impact to just really... And know. that makes a ton of sense to stagger him that way because I think, one, he's best suited to play by himself just because yep. of the passer that he is and how much he dominates the ball. And then also because of how much he's dominated the ball over the past few years, like you maybe don't necessarily want him logging the heaviest minutes next to Kyrie. I mean, look, it's clearly working on offense. The, right. yeah, the defense is a the different question. question. So that, like, there's no question there. But he's the I think he's the player who's 
case could change most rapidly in either direction, I think, of anyone we've discussed on this list. I'm trying to think of, is there anyone at the top you could kind of see falling that we mentioned, maybe within like that top five? I mean, it's just if Embiid misses games, which is a cop out, um, you know, same with Leonard, if, if he gets back into more of a rest protocol. But other than that, I mean, like, I think Jokic is going to put these numbers up all year. Um, and I think, I think the Nuggets defense can only get better. I would assume LeBron, I don't think is going anywhere. I, like we're just we're not going to ever predict Yeah, tail off is until it, until it's just, it happens. I'm not going to predict it ever again. Yeah, I don't know. I think Harden has a lot of upward mobility. The downward mobility from from the top, you know, three, four, five guys is is kind of hard to see, barring barring injury, which is like that's true for everybody, you know. Right. I guess maybe you can make the case for Durant, just because if like how much does he? But I, he's just been so good this year. I'm going to retract that. It's probably Embiid because of the the availability, or if LeBron decides to take like a mid mid season hiatus because he wants to be fresh for the postseason or something. I don't, I don't know. Giannis could get up there again. I mean, it's it's it has to register as a surprise or disappointment that he's as far down as he was for us. I think if he just becomes what he was last year, then he gets into the top five discussion again pretty easy. That's what I dislike about these exercises too, is because then you have to zero in on what we don't like about a player or you end up invariably sure. focusing on the imperfections. And it's like Giannis is still one of the five to ten best players in the league. Right. Like, just, like no question. <laughs> it's not a debate. Although I think he was consensus best player in the league entering last year and through most of last year what is who is the bet i i had lebron bleach report you participated in those rankings we had lebron james ended up being ranked as as number one who's been the best player in the league this year i still i mean i that's what i gave lebron the mvp for that reason i mean it like the numbers he needs help with the numbers in some areas but like i i just think he I just think he's the best player. He he has the most control over the game. Like he just me. I'm just reiterating my case. I just think it's him. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to how else to say it. I'm just not going to answer because I feel like if I pick LeBron, then why didn't I pick him to win MVP? There's. I think you might be able to make the case that it's Jokic too. Just, but then yeah. why wouldn't he win MVP? Best player versus MVP is a, is a tough debate. That's for a different podcast though. Do you have anything else to add on this? Julius Randle. Did we want to mention him at just, all? I just uh, I got my Andrew Wiggins plug in there, so I'm I'm happy. Yes, Andrew Wiggins is going to rank in the top 250 of MVP voting this year. Rest assured. Easy, easy, folks. If you are not following Grant on Twitter, remedy that post haste at gt underscore hughes. Please, please, pretty please, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Whether or not you use it, just search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five star rating, write a review. Always appreciate it. And also, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts and download every single episode until next time i'll leave you with a shout out to the one the only belongs in the peripherals of the mvp discussion apparently according to grant hughes mike conley sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network.
Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.